Amen. Well, it's great to be with you today and worship and having this time of privilege together as around the world, all across the globe, many believers have no freedom to gather, some losing their lives for their faith. We've seen things unfolding in the Middle East and in Africa with the horrible persecution of those who love Christ and serve Him and will not bend their knee to anyone but Him. And so we count it a privilege to gather today in this freedom and in the name of Christ. I sure do love you, and it's just a joy to have the opportunity to share the Lord's Word with you today. I'm so glad to see Bill Branch with us today and Suzanne. Bill, love you, man. I am so glad to see you. Praise God for His mercy on you. Good, good to be with you today. Amen. How wonderful. Miss Wanda, I believe you and Erwin are celebrating 52 years today. Is that true? Y'all give Miss Wanda and Mr. Erwin a hand. That is wonderful. You know that if he was able, he would be here. I think Tom and Angela have a little celebration today, too. Blessings to them as well. How many years for y'all? Eighteen, as Miss Wanda says, just getting warmed up. Yeah, all right. Well, it is a joy to be together. Turn with me in the Lord's Word to Matthew chapter 6. I really tried desperately to provide an outline for you and a PowerPoint to go with it. And I made one and was so dissatisfied with it, I just tossed it aside and had Melvin cut out a half a sheet of paper to put in your bulletin because it just wouldn't fall into any kind of form. And I think sometimes that's God's way of just reminding me how um, weak and uh, uh, just fragile that I am, that His Word is so big and joyful and immense that Packaging it sometimes is just impossible. I think all of us this week were greatly disturbed by the death of Robin Williams. How many of you that bugged you when you saw that? Yeah, a lot of you. How many of you grew up on Mork and Mindy? Y'all remember that? Yeah, I remember that really, really well as a young man. And uh, the fun that uh, Robin Williams brought to just everything that he did and we sat around and we kind of pondered this week. I don't know if you did as I did, but I just thought, you know, here's a guy that in the world's eyes has a lot of affection from people. He couldn't go anywhere with folks just, just, without folks just loving on him and patting him and shaking his hand and wanting their picture and incredible attention and assurance of, of a good career. Just uh, folks love to see him act anything from really zany things to very serious things and all in between and we just sat I think this week and we just said hmm how does a person who has all of those things or appears to have them find himself so much in despair and so I wrestled with that this week and I I wrestled with that with the text that we're in today. And so as we jump into the topic of prayer, I, I want to make a confession to you. Um, I'm really not very good at prayer. Does anybody else have that struggle? I just really struggle with prayer. I'm, I'm not one of those prayer warriors. I'm, I'm one of those folks who struggles with it all the time, wrestles with it. I wrestle with prayer more than I wrestle in prayer. And so as I speak today, I speak as a sort of a fellow learner, 
wanting to wrap my heart around what the Lord is teaching us here. And so we're going to break this into, I think, three sections over this week and the two following weeks to talk about it. Such a serious and such a glorious topic. When we jump in today, I want us to start with a couple of things that Jesus warns us about. When we end chapter 5, put your finger right there on verse 48. Jesus presses us towards something, and he says, I want to tell you who to be like. And that language is going to be found all through chapter 6, the language of to be like someone or something. And so he says at the end of chapter 5, and it serves as a heading for 6, he says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he says, this is the one you're to be like. You're to be like God. His nature is to fill you by the Holy Spirit, by your new birth, by your faith in Christ. His nature is to fill you and, and make you in His likeness by conforming you to the image of His Son, Jesus. And so that's the, the to be like. But after that, all through chapter 6, we get this warning. Don't be like don't be like. And so, we get that twice in chapter 5 about prayer. Once we get it, in verse 5, let's look at that. In chapter 6, verse 5, he says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. So here's the religious people who uh, have this front, this facade of having it together when they really... Their hearts are not involved at all. It's just a mask. It's just a, a charade. It's just a facade. And he says, don't be like them. And then he says the don't be like in verse 8 again. And this time he's talking about the pagans, the Gentiles. And so as we come into the idea of prayer, he's going to hold up two groups of people and he's going to say, don't be like these. These religious people who are hypocrites and who are faking it. But then he says about the Gentiles, he said, don't be like them. Even though they're very sincere in their desire to get the attention of their gods, don't be like them either. So he holds these two groups up and he says, don't be like them. And so that's kind of a warning and that's held up in comparison to be like God your Father. So now let's go from that point, knowing that there's two groups we're not supposed to be like, and there's one person we're supposed to be like, and let's hear why we shouldn't be like those groups. Let's start in verse 5. And I want to note one word in verse 5. And when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they, and mark this word, love. This is an important part of what Jesus is going to teach us. He's going to use the word love. Now, the word that is used here is attached to three other words. They love something. What is it that they love? Is it that they love prayer? Is it that they love God? What, what is it that they love? Well, let's read. He says, and when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray 
in the synagogues and in the street corners in order to be seen by men. So the word love is attached to three other words. It's attached to stand, it's attached to pray, and it's attached to in order to be seen. The word love is attached to all three. Dr. Quarles, in his commentary on Matthew, talks about some technical details of the language that Jesus uses. Because the word love is first met with the word stand, there's a relationship there. The word stand is put into a tense that is a perfect tense. It means that once something has already started, so that the word love and to stand actually mean something together. And they mean something very specific. It says, literally, they love once having stood to pray in order to be seen by men. What does that mean? Well, the grammar says that they don't love to pray any other time. It makes a claim that the exclusive time they love to pray is once they've stood in the synagogue or once they've taken their place in the street. That they don't love prayer any other time. In other words, they only love prayer when it gives them attention, when it allows them to be noticed, when it brings something not from God, but from people. And so they have this love. They love to pray once they have taken their stand in the synagogue or in the street. You see, they're looking for three things. Everybody's seeking these things. Everybody's after them. The first thing that they're looking for is attention. They want people's attention. So they love attention. They're addicted to it. And so what they do is they take their stand and they love to pray because people say things like, can't he pray well? Wasn't that a beautiful prayer? It's just like he's talking to God. And so the person loves the attention that they get for themselves, not for God. Not that they call attention to God, but that through prayer they love to get attention for themselves. But they want something else under that. They love the attention, but they love the affection. That's why the word love is used. Love is an affection that we have. And this affection is drawing the affection of others to that person. And what they love is they love not only that the people look at them, but that the people like them for their prayers. They begin to have affection for that person saying, you know, how devoted they are. I wish I could be like them. How religious, how devout, how righteous they are. And so this affection starts coming to them, and they, they love it. They love the attention, and they love the affection. And so here, they're standing as hypocrites, pretending to talk to God 
while all the while they're just sending out a radar going, I need you to look at me. I need you to love me, to like me. I need your affection coming this way. And so I'm taking this stand, and I'm loving it for one reason. Because it gets you to pay attention to me. And it gets you to like me and give me affection. And so here, that's what they're looking for. They're self-lovers. Paul warned us that in the latter days, men will be lovers of self. Rather than loving God, rather than loving people, these guys are simply using prayer, using religion, using God to love themselves. And that's all it's about. It's about them. But there's one more thing they want from it. They want some kind of ongoing thing They want something that moves beyond just that moment of attention, just that moment of affection. They want some kind of assurance that they are accepted by people, that they are received, that they can hold their standing. So they're hungry, loving themselves, to have the attention of people, to have the affection of people, but also for the people to assure them that they're good to go. In other words, they need some praise They need some words of affirmation, some words of assurance. So they're fishing for it. They're hunting for it so that they can have some sense of assurance within their own self that things are good to go. And Jesus says, oh, they get that. Notice, look in verse 5 again. And when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love. Here it is. They love, self-love, having stood to pray in the synagogues, in the street corners, to do what? In order to be seen by men. There's something behind it. They want the praise that comes with it. Notice what happens in verse 5 at the end. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. What was their reward? What was their thing that they were looking for? They wanted assurance that these people accepted them. They wanted acceptance. That's what they were trying for. They wanted standing, recognition. They wanted people to look at them and say, you're it. You're in. You're the one. You're the man. And so that's what they were looking for. And so you've got these three things they're fishing for, and they want it from people. They want attention. They want affection. And they want acceptance. They're craving for it. So Jesus says this is what's going on in much of religion. A lot of religion is driven by our desire for for acknowledgement from other humans. We're fishing for it. We're hunting for it. We're seeking it. And we use religion to get it. And so Jesus calls them out and he says this. He says, that's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you pretend to love one thing, but you're really loving something else. You're pretending to love God, but you're really just loving yourself. 
And God sees that. He knows it. But Jesus didn't just leave us with that example and say, don't be like them seeking the attention, the affection, and the acceptance of people. No. Because there's another way you can go wrong. Come down to verse 7. He's saying, okay, there's another problem here. The other problem is that some people use that platform of religion, of prayer, to get this from people. But the Gentiles, you got to give them credit here, at least they're not trying to get it from people. They're trying to get the same thing from their gods. You see, the Gentiles stand on the same platform, the platform of prayer. They stand seeking the same three things. They want attention, they want affection, they want acceptance, but they're at least asking it from the gods. So the Gentiles make their platform a platform seeking attention through their many words. Look in verse 7. And we and you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Is that my thing going out? It's not? Okay. We're popping popcorn in the back right now. We'll have that right after the service. Can y'all hear me through this one? Okay. That means I have to stand still. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't take any ADHD medicine. Okay. Yeah, you know it's true. Don't act like you don't know it's true. That guy's all over the place. Okay. The Gentiles, they at least, you have to give them credit, they at least were going to the gods for it. But they thought they could get the God's attention by how they went about it. This performance of using meaningless repetition. They thought, okay, how do do I get the God's attention? I'm going to make a big deal out of prayer. I'm going to make a big show out of prayer. So I'm going to go over and over and over and louder and louder and use all kinds of things. Remember when the prophets of Baal were having the challenge with Elijah on Mount Carmel. And and Elijah set up the thing where we have these two altars, and you call on your gods, and I'll call on my God, and we'll see. And these pagans went about trying to get their God's attention, and they started cutting themselves and chanting and screaming, and they went on all day about it, just trying to get their God's attention, thinking the way that you get the God's attention is by outlandish things. And if you can get His attention and do it right, Maybe he'll pour a little affection on us. Maybe by trying really, 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 really hard, we can get the attention of our gods, and maybe they'll sprinkle a little affection our way. So that's what's happening in verse 7. The Gentiles want somehow to touch their gods at the place of compassion by doing an exorbitant show to get their attention. And if that attention is pleasing to those gods, then perhaps those gods will pour a little affection on them, throw a bone their way, do something nice for them. 
And so they're caught up in that. And then it says they want some assurance that they're heard. Look at what he says. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. The word heard there means that their gods are manipulated. Their gods are coerced. Their gods are conformed into doing their will because they put their gods under obligation by such a good performance and getting the attention and by little piece of affection that might be in the hearts of those gods and maybe there will be some assurance that those gods will hear them and do something for them. And so, Jesus says, don't be like them either. Now look at what's going on because in both cases Jesus has raised three things that are intrinsic to your existence. Every one of us wants attention. It comes at birth. When you don't give a baby the attention that he or she wants, what do they do? They cry. And they cry until they until they get your attention. And what do they want? They want you to pick them up. And they want you to hold them and give them affection. They want you to feed them affectionately. They want you to change them affectionately. They want you to hold and kiss and nurture them affectionately. It is formative in the human existence to want attention and to want affection. Every one of us have that resting in our soul. And then through that attention and through that affection, every one of us wants some assurance that there is some kind of lasting connection to the attention and to the affection. We want some kind of assurance that that will continue on, that it's not a passing thing, that it's not a momentary thing. So after we have it once, we desire it again and we call out for it in a similar way. Baby cries again, we come and give attention again, we affectionately hold again, and we give assurance with loving words to them, singing all of the things of a good relationship. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying there is a fundamental thing laying down inside your soul. It is a desire for attention to be noticed. It is a desire for affection to be loved. And a desire for acceptance to permanently belong. And that you have three options of how you can go about that. The first option is to spend your life trying to get it from humans. From your Facebook to your Twitter to your circles to your church trying to get people to pay attention to you. From your outfit to your hairstyle to your car, to your house, to your language, to get people to notice you. It becomes so desperate that psychologists tell us that children will act badly to get their parents' attention if it is the only way that the parents will pay attention. They'll sin 
provocatively because it's the only time the mom or dad turn their head and look. Even if it is to get on to them, at least it's attention. And so deep in all of us is this quest. Born of broken self-love as a result of the fall in the Garden of Eden, And Jesus said there's there's two routes that people normally take. The route of religion that says I'll get it from people by making it look like I've got it together. And if I look like I've got it together, people will give me that attention, that affection, and that assurance that I belong to them and I'll be part. This is how cults work. This is how cults are so popular. Cults are popular because they give attention, they give affection, and they give acceptance. It's why gangs work. Because those three things are fundamental to the human existence. Jesus says that that's, that's one way, humans. There's another way. It's to try to live a life that impresses deities. That somehow, by your religious fervency, by your prayer life, your attendance, whatever, you're trying to impress God, and maybe, maybe He'll give you a little bit of attention, and maybe He'll throw a little affection your way, and maybe, maybe, just in hope, you'll you'll gain His acceptance. And, And the Gentiles were busy trying to impress their gods with their babbling and performance and trying to do the deity dance so that the deities would would pay attention. But Jesus explodes both of those and says in two short verses everything you need to know about this. Here's what he says. First, in verse 6, he says, but you. Now that means that you are different than the Gentiles and their performance getting their God's attention and you're different from the hypocrites in their performance getting man's attention. You are different. How are you different? Those who've been born again have been born into a relationship. Listen to the relationship. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father. Do you know what that says? It is dripping with the weight of affection. God, my Father, my good Father, my perfect Father, my heavenly Father. What it's saying to you is that all the affection you will ever need is in this relationship where God, your Father, loves you. For God so loved the world. But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. That you may know the height and the breadth and the depth of the love of God. Jesus is pressing you to leave the performance deal alone of trying to get everybody to love you. To give their affection. He's saying, no, don't go that route. He's also saying that it's not bought by your performance from God. 
God is a loving Father. And so His affection is directed perfectly at His children. But notice, He doesn't say just His affection is there as a Father. Look in verse 6 again. Pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees. Did you know that you have the attention of God all the time? As a loving father, he looks out and he sees you night and day, every day, all the time. In fact, in Psalm 139, when the psalmist is pouring his heart out, listen to what he says about knowing God looking upon him and loving him. He says, O Lord, thou hast searched and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down. Thou art intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. This is what made the psalmist say, O Lord, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou dost care for him? God is a loving Father has laid his affection on you through Jesus Christ. God is a loving Father has placed his attentive eye on you so that no matter what you're going through, in the darkest recesses of your heart, in the scaredest places that you have, in the place of quiet, in the place of fear, of terror, of rejection, wherever that is, God is attentive to that. And He sees. But He doesn't just see. Come down to verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so what Jesus is doing is He's blowing up two things. He's exploding them. He's destroying them. He's saying, if you come to religion with the goal of getting the attention, affection, and acceptance of people, that's a cult. And it will leave you empty and drained because people can't fill that void. And then if somehow you think you're going to gain God's favor and His attention through your performance and you keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying and the harder you try, the more you feel left out, it's because God's not going to give you assurance in that. God wants you to know that He loves you. And He loves you in spite of what you've done, not because of. And His love for you is infinite and measureless. That it is such that Romans 8 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all freely, how will He not freely with Him give us all things? What is He saying? He's saying God's love for you is a settled issue. You, through Jesus, through faith in Christ and repentance from sin, through the new birth, you can look at God and know His perfect affection as Father. You can know His perfect attention as Father. But here's what's wonderful. 
you can know his permanent acceptance as Father. In the great doxology of Romans 8, Paul is bubbling over with praise and he says this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Visit Iraq right now. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Jesus is after in your prayer life. He wants you to leave the addictive tendency to get human Attention, affection, and acceptance. He wants you to leave the foolish tendency to think that you gain God's attention, affection, or acceptance by some performance. He wants you to squarely come to Him, to Christ, and to realize your acceptance by God to become your Father and have all of His affection, all of His attention, and all of his acceptance is through this one thing. That you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And that as a result, you pray to him always from that position. Knowing as father, everything he does for you is in love. Knowing as father, everything he takes you through is with his attention to detail and knowing that as Father, nothing can ever separate you from his love. Would you bow with me? For us today, there's this possibility we... There's this possibility we rolled in here today with this uh, sense of insecurity. But I want to commend to you a great and holy eternal security. That you at this very moment, if you are a Christian, you would shake off all vestiges of wanting human approval. You would shake off all vestiges of trying to impress God with your activity. And that as a believer, you would just rest in Jesus Christ. 
and give glory that God has accepted you perfectly and permanently with all of his affection, all of his attention, and all of his perfect acceptance through Jesus Christ alone. And if you came here today and you are not in a relationship with God through Jesus, and you've been kind of doing the religious thing, or you've been trying to do kind of a pagan thing, you know, balance out, impress God with all the things you do, and maybe at the end He'll accept you. I want you to know Jesus is blowing that stuff up, and He's saying, leave that and come to Him. Here's what Jesus says. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from the addiction to approval of people, from addiction to the affection of people, acceptance, so that in Christ alone you will have peace. Would you come to him today? You say, Pastor Bart, how, how do I do that? I'm kind of new at this, or I've been around a while, but it's just still not clear. How to, it's very simple. Knowing how great your sin is, that it has separated you from God and given you that hunger for affection, that hunger for acceptance, that hunger for attention. That sin in you can be removed by faith in Jesus. Because he died for your sin and he was raised again. He is God in flesh. He is the King of kings. He's the Savior of the world. And if you trust him today, he will restore in you that which is broken, giving you God's affection, God's attention, God's acceptance. Would you come to him now? Even in your heart, pray with me. Dear God, I am far from you because I have sinned. I want to draw near to you and know this loving affection, know this fatherly attention, know this permanent acceptance. And so I repent of my sins and I place my faith in Jesus Christ. Save me, Father. Save me. The Bible says that He will, that He does, that He can. Would you come to him now? Stand as God leads you. Would you come? He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross love so